Hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of the Wilderness and Wellness Podcast. In this episode, I sit down for an interview with Elena Harder, a bulletproof mom and mental wellness coach. Elena tells her inspiring story of overcoming mental illness and the threads of nature connection that were her support along the way. We talk specifically about Elena's intuitive use of a sit spot and the importance of creating personal spaces for mental wellness. Elena also tells us about her journey moving from Calgary, Canada to Mexico on a whim with her young son in tow. She also regales us with her story of taking up van life and the adjustments that needed to be made to make van life work with a partner, a young son, and a dog. Finally, Elena fills us in on her work helping isolated mothers who struggle with stress and anxiety through her program, Bulletproof Moms. Elena is also the purveyor of the Joygasmic Life podcast and a contributing author to the recently released book, Ignite Female Changemakers. Stay tuned. Welcome to the Wilderness and Wellness Podcast. I'm your host, Ron Walleen. This podcast is an exploration of the ways that people can reconnect to the natural world through bushcraft, naturalist skills, and time spent immersed in the nature they find around and within them. We also discuss how this reconnection can increase our individual well-being and that of our communities and the earth. Thank you for joining me. I'm really glad you're here. Hello, friends, and welcome back to yet another episode of the podcast. I'm glad you're joining me today for this interview with Elena. Elena reached out to me a few weeks ago and uh, expressed interest in coming on the podcast and telling her story. And I looked into her story a little bit and was very intrigued. It's a, a very good story of overcoming mental illness and having nature to be one's companion along the way. And so I thought it was a great story to bring to you, my dear listeners. And so on that note, a little bit about Elena. Elena Harder is a courage catalyst and bulletproof mom coach. She started her awakening journey when she conceived her son while in in an abusive relationship and then spent seven years in crippling postpartum depression, self-loathing, and people-pleasing. She never gave up hope on finding a way through. Her search for mental health led Elena to study mindfulness, spirituality, NLP, which I had to look up, and his neuro-linguistic programming, uh, theta healing, tantra, optimal nutrition, and intermittent fasting in order to find a way to finally recover her mind and her joyful soul. Elena now works with other mothers to help them master the tools and skills that really work to remove their negative self-talk, eliminate stress, heal their hearts, and remove anxiety, fear, and depression. Elena believes that by sharing vulnerable stories and hard-earned wisdom, others don't need to make the same mistakes and can move from suffering to joy much faster. So I hope you enjoy this story of Elena and, and her wonderful journey, and perhaps get something out of it for yourself. Enjoy. A, a big part of my philosophy around um, raising Alex, my son, who's now nine, was uh, my job between like zero and three was to make sure that he knew that mom was a safe place to be. 
right? right? He could right. always come back to me. I would always feed him. I would always nurture him. I would always hold and cuddle him if he needed something. But then between like two and five, it was really this journey of the world is a safe place. Hmm. The world is a safe place. And so, like I said, you know, car filled communities didn't feel like that for me. Although I did grow up on a street like that in, in Winnipeg, you know, right. that was 30 some years ago. And so that was a sort of a different time and a little bit of a slower, slower yeah. feeling. Um, you do find that in some suburbs now, but I don't particularly want to be in the suburbs. I'd rather be, <laughs> you know, so it's like density versus, uh, versus nature space. Right. But, but under, when you have that capacity to understand like the world is a safe place, you're going to interact with the world in a completely different mindset than if your entire upbringing is watch out for the car, watch out for the thing, watch out for the people, like people might steal you that, you know, like there's a right. lot of fear. So. Yeah, yeah. I, I have a, a, a kid that I, that I know. Um, and when he was a little kid, his, I don't know, I think his dad was a very fearful person. And so he, he told him once, to be careful because the wind would blow him away. And so this little, this poor little guy was always so scared of the wind because he thought it was going to blow him away, you know, and, and our words as adults have so much power, you know, and, literally anything you say to them before seven will literally impact the rest of their lives. Exactly. It's just like the wind will blow you away. Oh my God. Like that means that today is like highly dangerous for me. Right. Super windy outside, <laughs> and I could just disintegrate instantly. Yeah. You know, and like there's there's imagery around that kind of stuff that kids are seeing too, of like people just like disintegrating into nothingness. So, right. so like that, that suddenly becomes really scary when your imaginary concept, your movie and, and video game concepts suddenly become like I might be blown away by the wind. Like, right, right. It's like the the imaginary child brain like doesn't know what to make sense of that other than that's true. Okay. Exactly. Yeah, but it's dangerous. And yeah. Yeah. Tell me about your personal sense of connection with the natural world and, and what helped foster that. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think to a huge part, it was my parents um, and like having our family holidays be based around nature. We go hiking, we go camping. Nice. Like, I think that makes a huge difference in how, how kids interact with nature. Um, I was quite totally cool with it up until about 13 and then I became wildly uh, upset about being in nature and being forced to march <laughs> to the top of mountains. Like most teenagers. <laughs> you know, I just thought it was stupid. Um, but then in my like mid-20s, um, definitely came back to the sense of nature. And, and in my early and mid-20s, I was experiencing quite a bit of mental health issues um, that have since resolved, which is great. Uh, but in that time, it was like, Nature was peaceful. It was quiet. There was nobody talking to me. There, but there was nobody judging me. There was nobody um, except myself, right? But there was like right. there was nobody else, uh, to sort of fear or interact with. And so mm. I spent long, long periods of time um, under bridges in in sort of the provincial park nearby. Uh, would be like a state park in the U.S. Mm. Um, uh, or I found a little glen that was like really beautiful and I could see I, I was there in the summer and then I'd be there in the winter as well. Cause I was, I just needed to get out of the house. I need, I was, uh, living with my parents in my mm. early twenties cause I had my son early and, um, I just needed to get away from them as well. Love them a lot, but like needed to get away from right. them. And so I would just like bring 
all my snow gear and my hand, my mittens, my snow pants, <laughs> my jacket, my hat, my you know, balaclava up to here. And I would go sit in the forest in the, in the snow. Um, and I would see these places where the deer hollows, like where the deer had slept and they'd melted the ice in the snow some. Um, and, and I would just feel like, Oh, like somebody else is here, but they're, they're just deer, you know, and, and it felt like a really beautiful place. And I hung up some fabrics in the woods and like moved the branches around. So it was my own sort of little space and kind of care took it like it was my own, you know, house away from the house. It didn't have a roof or anything, but it was, it was the space that I, and I, in the winter I could see like nobody else was going there because I could see my footprints from last time and I could see the fresh snow since, and I could see that like, really I was the only human being who was there. And, um, that, that was like, one of the first places that really felt safe to me um, during that time. So that really uh, created an appreciation. And I continued to go back to that space for years after that sort of initial, like, I can, I can be here. Um, I can be myself here. I can sing here. I can talk out loud here. And nobody's going to look at me like I'm weird. I can, I can, you know, make art with the, the dead trees or move the live branches around and just sort of like, you know, tinker and, and create. And that was really, that was really nourishing to me. So, yeah. And so you just, you did this intuitively without being told you should do this or anything like that. Yeah. It just seemed like a, uh, yeah, I I just wanted to make the space I was in a little better than it was before. And, and more like something that I, that made me feel really safe. and Right. Cozy. That's really fascinating because there's this, this concept uh, within the, the modern nature connection movement, if you will, of a yeah. sit spot. And I'm sure you, maybe you've heard of that since, since then, but um, a sit spot is a place that you go in nature and it's like your place and you mm. keep track of what's going on. You know, you try to visit it daily if you can. And, you know, there's just so many benefits. Of course, the, the mental health and wellness benefits and then, um, you know, just learning about the natural world and what's there and all that kind of stuff. But it's just so fascinating because I feel like, and it's often talked about with this practice that we did that intuitively and naturally as kids. Oftentimes we had a little spot, like a little, a little nook under the tree or, you know, whatever that was our spot, whether it was inside or outside. And, uh, so it's just kind of fun to hear that, you know, when you were in a place where you felt like you were in need of some sort of solace or, you know, comfort or whatever that, you know, you reverted to that childlike, um, desire to, to have a place of your own and to make it your own and, and got the, the, the wellness benefits of that. That's really fun. Yeah. Um, I had no idea that was like a, you know, it's a thing, yeah. Thing, or a thing that people have sort of talked about and is a sit spot, and oh, that's great. I'm going to look that up a little. Yeah, bit. I did want to add there was like there was something um, really magical about that spot for me, other than the sitting there, and that was part of like how I approached it. Mm. Um, so uh, there was a, a you know it was a valley with like a a main path, like a gravel path that ran through it, and a paved path somewhere else in the valley, and so there was like main thoroughfares, and it was relatively close to those. Um, and, and relatively like close to places where people walked frequently mm. above and below because it's sort of on the side of the hill. Um, but when I left the main path, there was there's sort of this like ritual of like approaching the place that I would always tell the same story and I would go, okay, now I'm leaving the, the beaten path. Now I'm crossing into my glade. Now I'm 
stepping over the the old logs that represent my past. Now I'm um, climbing the hill and facing death because there was this one place where like a there was a tree that had fallen. I had to walk. I didn't have to walk under it, but the path went under it, and I would right. like I used to walk under the path and be like, I'm facing my fear of death right now. And um, and then there was like sort of a last place where there was a path that kind of ran through it, but nobody really went up. They went like across and I was like, and this is the area that's like just mine. And, <laughs> um, and like, and only I know that it's here and only I can enter this space, something like that. And, um, and then when I left, I would leave a different way. I wouldn't come back in the same way. I would go a different way out and I would go, okay, my, like my path is still safe. My path is still secret. And, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, I don't know that that was like a really important part for me about like, how I entered the space is like uh, we talk about like leaving the normal world and entering sort of a more magical, magical thinking space or leaving the sort of society culture civilized world and and entering into like the wild animal or the the primal primitive part of myself. Yeah. Um, And I think that was an important part of that journey. I'm thinking about other times I lived in the same city, but further away from that spot. And I lived for like two or three years in Calgary, that same city without really finding something that had that same feeling to me. Mm. And then going back to that same spot later, you know, and being like, Oh, like I am not the same woman who needed this spot so badly. And I wow. don't really want to come back to this spot anymore. I want to find a different one that represents something new for me. Um, and just thinking about the the space here that I feel like a little bit connected with, but it doesn't have that journey to get to it sort of in the same way. Right. Um, so I'm, I'm thinking for me that that like the journey and sort of like the leaving the normal world and entering that magical world is like part of what made that space so nurturing. Yeah. That's so yeah. cool. That's so cool. Yeah. And it's funny because there's another practice in there that's well known that you developed and, it's practiced among the Australian Aborigines and it's called the song line. I don't know if you're familiar with that at all, but essentially a song line, um, and I might butcher describing it, but I'll do my best. Um, these, uh, it's this tradition within groups of people, especially within the area that they inhabit, you know, their territory, so to speak, where they, they, they teach these kids growing up the song line and it's basically a story and, and, woven into that story is different descriptions of features on the landscape where they're at. And then mm-hmm. as part of kind of a rite of passage, at some point, these young people, um, they, they're, they're pushed out into, you know, onto the land to have their rite of passage to, to be alone and to, to do their journey, so to speak. And as they do their journey, they recite this song line to themselves and the song line is basically a, a map. It's a map for them right. to know where to go next and what what they'll find there. You know, this is where you find water. This is where you find shelter. This, you know, those kinds of things. And so these song lines are very, very, and I need to do more research on them as well. But, um, but they're extremely important parts of Australian Aboriginal tradition and culture. And that's exactly what you did. You made your own song line, you know, and and of course it wasn't for the purpose of trying to find something, but it was stories that you told yourself about the land that not only referred to the land itself, but talked about your inner landscape and the things Mm -hmm. that you were trying to deal with and face and, you know, and, and find comfort from. So that's so fun. That's so cool. Yeah. 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 If I think about it, um, like during that time, uh, 
like, like I said, mental health stuff was an issue. And so like taking my own life was something that I was wrestling with as a concept. And, mm. and so I hadn't just until now, when you said that, I was like, Oh yeah. Like facing my fear of death and like leaving that behind me as I entered into the space, like how friggin' powerful Absolutely. is that for me to have a space where I can feel that way. Right. Wow. Yeah. That's so and, cool. And even, even within, even within household, right? So I've lived in several community houses where we had like five adults in a five bedroom house, um, plus me and my kid, or we would be, I'd be one of the five adults kind of thing. I've lived right. in two houses like that. And how important it is for each of those people to have their bedroom as their bedroom, right? My right. space, don't touch it. And sometimes when um, I do some work around like couples, uh, couples relationship building and like keeping relationships strong and healthy. Cause that's something that kids often challenge. But you know, when you move into a shared bedroom with somebody, you lose that. This is my space. This is your space. All of a sudden it's our space and you don't necessarily have that solo space. And so my, you know, my partner, um, we've traveled and lived in lots of different houses together because our, our lifestyle was traveling and van life, but like so important for him to have, this is my dedicated like tea workspace, mm. you know, and whether yeah. that's outside or inside or this house or that house, doesn't matter which house, like those same things. Whereas I'm much more like I get the bedroom because I'm, I'm, he's more likely to wake up in the morning and make tea or coffee first thing in the morning and go do that. Whereas I'm like, Oh, I want to like, take my time waking up and they don't really want to get dressed yet and all of that jazz. Right. And so, uh, you know, not necessarily in the same way that we're interacting with nature, but like those same impulses get applied to house life. Absolutely. I'm just thinking about right now it's like April 20, April, 2020. And like so many people have been, you know, sucked from their whole, like, you know, commute and yeah. work and all of the different spaces where like work was a sacred place that you would go to avoid or not be in your home space. And that's been taken away. And so now it's like, how can you find sort of those little quiet places in your house or in your yard? If you have a, if you're blessed to have a yard or whatever that might be to be able to move around and, and create, like, this is my space when I'm in this space, don't come near me. Right. Like that's right. An important piece that people have. And uh, you know, for a lot of people it's a bedroom, but if you're sharing bedrooms, if you've got siblings or whatever, right. like that doesn't really happen. So there's other ways to create those, the sort of psychological safeties. Yeah. And, and I would definitely say a sit spot is a really important aspect of that. Um, as, as you demonstrated without even knowing or, you know, understanding, yeah. but yeah. that's one for me personally, you know, if I'm, if I'm having a rough time or I need to just decompress, relax or whatever, my sit spot's my place to go. And that, that's kind of my spot, you know, and it's a community area. So there's people going in and out, but when I'm there, I feel like, okay, this is my safe place. You know, this is where I can yeah. relax and just kind of sink into the rhythms around me and, and enjoy. So yeah, that's really yeah. cool. Very cool. That, so like, thinking into the rhythms around you, I think is a huge yeah. part of it, right? It's like, cause that's what you get when you're in nature. You're like, Oh, the trees are doing this. Right. <laughs> The wind is doing this and the birds are going. <laughs> exactly. Or not. Maybe it's super quiet in the <laughs> or the desert. Right? The desert has this thing about being like super quiet in a way most other landscapes aren't. So, right. Yeah. Yeah. It's really fun. It's cool. So tell me more about, you know, this incredible story you have of, of leaving things behind, you know, I mean, you, you, you've kind of alluded that you're in a, a pretty tough and uh, dark place for a while. And uh, what, what was the thing that 
kind of pushed you out the door, so to speak. Yeah. So um, you're talking about my, my Mexico single. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. So um, when my son was uh, before, I don't know, where, where do I start? Let's start with uh, when my son was eight months old, I moved back in with his biological father, which was a bad idea because we'd already broken up and mm. uh, shouldn't have been together in the first place. But the this value of like family together was really strong and me and my parents were still together and all that. So I wanted to give it another try. And a couple months later, I found out people were dealing cocaine out of the house. Oh, no. And that was unacceptable to me. And I was doing all the momming, all the grocery shopping and a good chunk of the income producing. And I was just like, you know what, this is a little effed. And actually this, you know, it went from being like barely manageable to I have to get myself out of here. And I had lived, I had done a six month stint in Mexico previously. Um, where I had lived there for the winter. Um, I had planned on going down and doing some uh, woofing, so willing workers on organic farms. Uh, ended up just like working in a small town, small tourist town, doing other things. But so I had had a year of experience of being like, oh yeah, like I can live in Mexico over the winter. Uh, and it just kept getting colder and colder. And I was pushing my son in his stroller on our like evening walk to get him to sleep kind of thing. Like we'd walk and I was like, oh my God. And like, two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, like this outdoor evening walk is going to become like deadly cold. My fingers are going to freeze off. His nose is, you know, I'm going to have to like, there's going to be too much snow on the sidewalks to be able to push him. Like how am I going to manage sort of shifting that? And the shifting, it was like, Oh, well, I guess I'll push the stroller around in the basement of the basement apartment I'm living <laughs> in. I was kind of like, huh, like that doesn't seem like a great idea while I'm waiting for my like drunk partner, ex-partner, you know, to like, to like show up home, having spent my money on alcohol, like this is just like a bad, bad situation to be in, right? Mm. And so I started looking at my options and I was like, well, I can either move back into my parents' place, into their basement suite for the second or third time at that point. I did it more times than I'd like to say. Um, and I'm super grateful that they took me back in every time and were super supportive. Um, I know a lot a lot of people don't have that uh, have that kind of relationship or that kind of luxury. Uh, but at the time, it felt like the end of the world. That was like a, a no-go option. I was like, I can't do it again, you know? Uh, and so I was looking at my options and I was like, well, you know, based, I was freelancing and momming. So, you know, I was doing uh, web work on the side and being a mom most of the day. And I'd work in the evenings after my son went to sleep or in the mornings before he woke up or napping or whatever. And I was like, you know what? I can live on my wages here almost, but if I go to Mexico, I can get an apartment for $400 a month or $250 a month instead of 800 and groceries are going to be less and I won't have to pay for utilities or any of those things and the cell phones, every, everything will be less. And I was like, okay, on the money I have, I can live like a beggar in Canada or I can live like a queen in Mexico. Let me think about this for a second. Huh? <laughs> huh? You know, so, um, within, so after having that sort of like serious conversation with myself and, you know, I mentioned the thing about cocaine in the house and that was a, that was a no go for me. I had been living oblivious that it was happening for some months and, uh, and I was like, okay, so how much are flights to Mexico? And they were about 250 bucks per person. I was like 500 bucks to get me and him down there. We don't need return tickets. We'll figure that out later. Um, cause I was planning it was, it was October. It was like, it's getting colder. It'll be cold for another six months at least. Right. And um, so I, I didn't have a lot of things. I've been a minimalist for most of my life. Um, 
So I took the toys that I had and I gave them to a mom I'd been hanging out with. I brought, uh, you know, a couple of the, the more personal things and stored them in my parents' basement and bought a ticket. And in about a week, like seven days from the moment of that decision, I wow. was on that plane in Mexico, um, you know, having walked out of the relationship, having walked out of the, the partial lease that, you know, he, I had been doing, I was just like yours. Bye. Yeah. And, and we lived in Mexico for the winter and I, I ended up finding a really, really beautiful place about two minute walk from the beach, a 30 second walk from the grocery store, um, which meant I wasn't popping into car seats or um, cars or any of that stuff in order to get my basic needs met and we could hang out on the beach every day. And so we'd wake up late and hang out at the house for a bit, take care of our food stuff, pack a lunch, spend six hours on the beach. And then, um, you know, my son would fall asleep early and I'd spend about four to six hours sometimes, you know, depends on the day, but like sometimes up till 2am being like, okay, let's just get this site worked. And it was like <laughs> not a great recipe for mental health based on what I now know about sleep. But at the time I had been a night owl for years. And so I was like, Oh, like this makes sense. And I'd rather do it in the evening than the morning. And so we just, we functioned like that for some time. And there were lots of other people who had expatted in the town. So I had you know, I went and found myself some some retirees to be grandparents, and we'd meet up with them every other day, and they'd hang out with Alex for a bit, and there were always um, tourist families coming through. We learned Spanish, and people would give us things, and it was, oh. it was just like, oh, like this is so much nicer than, than what we were doing. <laughs> and um, so we actually did that for three years in the same town. We just, in the winter, we'd go back. Um, in October and we come back in April and Mexico's got six month visas. So that was super easy. They were happy to have us and happy to have, you know, our Canadian dollars getting spent in pesos. And I was happy to, spend, to be spending my Canadian dollars right. in pesos <laughs> as, a, as a single mom who was like figuring it out. Like that was really great for me. Um, definitely there were some like challenges around finances and some mm. challenges around mental health. And, you know, if I'd known what I know now about sleep hygiene, about, like tech and how that impacts your sleep hygiene about nutrition and the fact that we were eating a lot of um, dairy, like we we're eating a lot of flour quesadillas. That was like a staple. And it's just yeah. like, it doesn't work for my body. Turns out if somebody would have told me that really clearly and gotten it through my head when I was 16, like my life would have been radically different. Um, so there were definitely challenges in that time, but uh, being able to be in nature, you know, even when my mind was like totally lost and I was really struggling, like I would just open my eyes and be like, the sky is blue. There are palm trees and beautiful birds. Watch the pelicans. And I would just like, the pelicans. <laughs> and everything would just kind of, you know, all the worries and all the stress would kind of just like disappear for a bit. And it doesn't have to be pelicans. It doesn't have to be anything in particular. Like it could be like watching the buds on like a, a new plant that's blossoming in the spring and just be like, wow, that's, that's so awesome. cool. That's so you cool. Know? Like, whatever it is. But like, I was able to have that like outsideness around me all the time. We'd hang out on the patio, we'd hang out at the beach and, and it was super solace. So, 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 so I don't know, super good for me. <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah. awesome. Yeah. So while you were in Mexico, then how, you know, you talked about the, the areas you would go. What was what was your favorite place to go to to get that solace while you were there? Oh, great. Um, 
Yeah. So uh, sort of two things. It depended on whether my son was with me or not. If he was with me, there was uh, on the left, uh, we would go to Sayulita, which is now like fairly famous in terms of beach towns in Mexico and um, has sort of, I, I would say it's lost a lot of the like charm that I was experiencing in that like <laughs> early 2000s experience of it. Um, but the beach is still beautiful. And, and so we would go to the, the left side of the beach um, which was just like a really soft, gentle, um, like really friendly for kids. You could walk into it for quite a ways and still only be up to like kid hips kind of thing. Nice. And so that gave me a lot of uh, leeway with Alex to sort of like check in with him every couple of minutes and be where he's at. And we would build sandcastles for hours. That's um, awesome. And I, I would, I would, I, I don't know if he really liked building sandcastles, but I <laughs> You know, he just likes um, spending time with mom. I'm sure <laughs> he likes spending time with mom and he liked destroying my sandcastles. So that was like a whole learning process in non-permanence and like <laughs> letting it go. And I mean, like, I know, I knew that the waves were going to take the, the sandcastle when the tide came in, in approximately six to 12 hours, you know, like at some point the waves were going to take them anyway, but that was like such a learning curve in terms of being like, and if my two year old destroys it now, that's fine as well. <laughs> You know, um, but I would just dig and I would, I would use sort of the, the flood, is that, I don't know, flood plains are like the, it's like when the sand is like sort of the water. Sort of like towards slowly, the water. Yeah. Like slowly going towards, but like the sand is still quite wet. And I would just dig these like holes and I'd be like, oh, I made a lake. And I would like <laughs> pile it up. I'd be like, I made a mountain and I just like play with all the like water in its own, in its own way. And people would sometimes stop I'd be like, wow, like you built this thing and that felt nice. And, um, but for the most part, it was just like me in the sand, me in the sand in the water and me in right. the sand in the water, making little drizzle castles. And, <laughs> uh, <laughs> the sound of the waves, right. Super, super beautiful. And often we'd meet, you know, I would choose a spot on the beach that was close to another family who was already packed up. So we'd find some friends and my son would hang out with them. And I, I found that, um, this is like a great, uh, you know, once the, all the quarantine stuff is over, but like I was a way better mom to other people's kids and my kid than I <laughs> felt like I was to just my kid. And mm. that's actually um, biologically proven. Like humans are social creatures. And so we really? actually generate more oxytocin towards other people's children than to our own children. Interesting. Think about it for a second. Yeah. If, if, if somebody else's children did the crazy ass shit that your kids have done to you <laughs> and you did not generate more oxytocin towards them than towards your old children. We would not have other people's children hanging around. We would never put up with that. Right. So it's <laughs> like, logic checks out. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's just like, wow. When I found that I was like, Oh, okay. So I would often seek out other families with young kids around the age and be like, Oh, I can be a great mom to this, like five kids rather than like, this one kid, which I found challenging because I had postpartum depression and, right. and struggles with that. So I had like challenges bonding with my own kid and I actually learned how to bond and what that felt like through being with other kids and, and feeling, Oh, okay. This is what it feels like to be really motherly towards a child. Right. Okay. Like let's overlay that on top of my own kid. Okay. This is how I should be behaving towards him, you know, based <laughs> on, and this is how it will feel when I do it. And I sort of like, I had to, I had to remap motherhood onto my own kid mm. because of some of the, the trauma experiences. Are That's another podcast that I've right. talked about. <laughs> um, so you so, asked about seeking solace in the, Oh, I, there was not there was another spot. I'm totally happy to talk about or I'm happy oh, to sh- jump into the next question. Sure. Yeah. If you want to tell us about it. I mean, it's just, it's amazing to hear these really cool places and things that you experience because 
you know, when you tell the story of being there, like I could feel the ocean breeze and I can, the sun and I can hear the waves and it's just a sensory medley of wonderfulness, you know? So yeah, if you want to, if you want to give us that, that other spot, feel free. Yeah. So the other spot was like way down on the North side of the beach. So you can imagine there's sort of this like hub of commerce and tourism and whatnot Mm. that that first spot sort of embodied. I was on the the edge of it, but like very, very close to it. There's always fruit fruit guys and popsicle guys and candy guys coming up and down the beach. I actually told my son that uh, sugar was poison. They would just give it to him. I didn't even have to buy it. They would just give it to him. Like, sugar is poison. Sugar is poison. Don't take it. They're giving you poison. He's like, okay, mom. You know, like, (laughs) anyway. (laughs) That's better than the wind's going to blow me away, so. (laughs) Yeah. Like, not untrue. Um, (laughs) Anyway, uh, I have, like, a whole segue to do on sugar and why why not sugar. But um, the spot (laughs) on the other end of the beach. So every once in a while, I would get a babysitter. My parents came down for a bit. And then... Or, um, or he would be hanging out with other friends, other mom friends, and I would get to go to the north end of the beach. In the north end of the beach, there weren't so many people. It had that sort of far away feeling that, and, and I, I want to share this because like geographically, it was probably about uh, less than a mile, right? So maybe like two kilometers, something like that. It wasn't right. super far, but not a lot of people went there. Hmm. And so if people are looking for a faraway place, if they're looking for that sense of isolation in nature, it doesn't actually have to be far away from everything else. It just needs to feel far away from everything else, which, you know, uh, could, could be anywhere. It could just be like a chunk of forest out back that like people don't go to. Right. Um, so, so I had to walk for a while. And again, there was this sense of like, oh, there's sort of like a magical journey. Once you pass this place okay and then like there's not really anybody on the beach anymore all of a sudden the beach is all your own and then we there was a a special rock that had um it had some uh graffiti on it Mm -hmm. and i i was i paint um and so i would take my paints uh, i just bought like cheap house paints from the mexican like hardware store and i just take them out there and i was like well anywhere somebody's already graffitied i can paint hearts over top that was my that was my modus operandi and so i found found this like it was an old busted up piece of concrete and it had like just like somebody scribbled tag or whatever and i painted this heart with like an eyeball on it (laughs) and and that was that was the secret entrance that like probably everybody could see but nobody knew what was up behind it right so there's a lot of the sense of like secrecy and like my own special place and Mm. and so you could climb up through there and again there was like a path that ran across but if you knew where to go there was like another set of path and there was actually a stairway that went up to a an old house that had been it was a cinder block house that had clearly at some point gotten like taken down by a hurricane or an angry person or i'm not sure you know like (laughs) i didn't I didn't know what the story was, but I did know there was some sort of story to it. Mm. And so I would go up there and again, it's like caretaking the space, taking care of it in some way. And so when the first time I went up there, I was like, wow, this is so cool. And obviously nobody's been here for a while, but there's some sort of history and that felt really nice. And so I, you know, I, I grabbed a, piece of a palm tree and like swept it out and like rearranged some of the bricks a little bit made a shape out of the thing and then I brought my paints a couple times later and painted some of the old bricks and like 
really like it was never anything other than a pile of rubble (laughs) my pile of rubble exactly i could go back to and i could see people from there like from where i was if people walked along the beach like i could see them but i knew they they couldn't see me unless they were really and really looking and nobody would ever be really like looking for a still silent person on the hill right right Um, so it was just this like beautiful little spot that was just for me and and tucked away and um, I would go there when I needed to clear my mind. Um, I ended up uh, getting back together with my ex a couple more times because <laughs> love is a crazy kind of stupid thing. Sometimes right. especially you've got abuse patterns built into them. Right. Um, and so that spot was actually like, I remember going back to that spot when I was together with him. And, and so Alex was with his like biological dad and like, safe felt Mm. safe enough for me to be there or I really needed to be in in this quiet space and that was where I made the decision that like actually I needed a relationship that didn't involve alcohol in my Mm. life I didn't drink alcohol I didn't want it in my life like um and and it was interesting because that space had clarity it had peacefulness it had certainty for me and I would go back into the rest of my life and lose that certainty so fast Mm. And so it was like a week or two of coming back to that space and coming back to that same certainty and being like, no, I really want this. I really, it's important to me. It doesn't matter how in love I feel when I walk back into the rest of my life. Like, this is my clarity. This is my truth in my own space. And in some ways it was associated with the space. In some ways it was like, I really needed a psychologically different space that was my own in order to gain the clarity I needed to see through the patterning that was happening and, and create something different. Interesting. For myself. Yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. That's, that's a great segue into van life. And, yeah. And so you were in Mexico and now you're doing the van life thing. So, you know, and, and, you know, it sounds like you're in a, a much different, more healthy mental space. So, you know, what, what has that journey been like? Like what brought you to this place where you're at now? Not only healthy yourself, but helping others uh, be healthy as well. Yeah. Um, so I would say like a couple of, couple of radical changes. One is like my son is older and straight up like four five, six year olds are so much easier to handle <laughs> than one, two and three year olds. Like just straight up. Right. <laughs> you got to give that the, the, the right. piece that it needs. So like it's, somebody's listening to this and they've got like a one, two or three year old and they're like, I'm crazy. It's like, you're going to be crazy for a couple of years. <laughs> right. You just need to figure out how to make what you're doing now work. And I'd recommend having another human being, another friend, a co-parent, whatever it is. It doesn't need to be a romantic partner, just somebody you can like talk things through and like right. have vacuum moments and whatnot. It gets um, better. <laughs> it gets better. Yeah. So that, that was a huge part of it. When Alex hit four, we did um, six months in Bali, wow. um, which was really amazing. Um, and then we came back to Canada for the summer. And then we did a, some, a winter in Europe and Morocco, which was really cool. And, and then after that was really when things started to change. Um, I, I began to realize that I had been running from the winter. I had been running for a long time, like close to a decade from my own mental health challenges and although I'd come to a lot of I'd done a lot of the sort of mental side of it so I I had moved from hearing your hippie friends like Mm. every time I did something I liked doing 
Mm. because that's where I was at sort of at the beginning. So I'm like, oh, I'm allowed to have my own interests and my own passions. And I've been doing that for a while. And in general, I'm in support of my own life, um, which is a huge, a huge shift to make. Um, But once I got to that point, I, I sort of hit a plateau and realized that I wasn't progressing. I wasn't getting more better. I, I was in search of the perfect West facing sunset over an ocean. Like that right. was, that was, I, I was, but I was really looking for really seeking, trying to find that. And I realized that what I was looking for was outside of myself. Mm-hmm. And I, and after spending like five years looking for that, I, I still hadn't found it. So with a certain amount of like resignation, I was like, well, what I'm doing hasn't been working. What can I try that's different? And I actually decided to go back to Calgary and I was like, I'm going to spend at least one calendar year there, including winter, which I had been <laughs> running from for a decade. Right. And um, what happened was I was really blessed to make a friend there who had been studying the other parts that I didn't even know I was missing, like diet, mm. like nutrition, like the fact that um, having a baby strips many essential nutrients and fats from your body and actually causes a form of mental illness uh, that don't quote me on that. That might be like a bit of an exaggeration, but like the, the human body goes, Oh, I'm, I'm making a baby, any available extra nutrients like pump into the baby. Right? right. So a lot of women come out of pregnancy malnourished. Mm. Um, a lot of women go into pregnancy malnourished and I had no idea around this. And so I started a, a protocol of um, vitamin therapy. Um, so putting like high concentrations of omegas, zinc, uh, vitamin C's, lecithins, uh, what else? Magnesium and a handful of other things. Those are the, the big ones um, mm-hmm. into my body every single day. And I was like, holy crap. Like, it's not crazy in here anymore. Go figure. Who knew that like my recurring thoughts of like self-harm were actually nutritional based? Interesting. Holy crap. I wish yeah. somebody would have told me that like right. <laughs> years prior, right? Or like a decade prior. Like, so my teenage self hadn't been suffering because I had re- really been suffering from a lot of those things for a long long time. Hmm. Now that was one side of it. The other side was my family stuff, which was, I had sort of somewhere in those teenage years when things started getting heavy, I stopped trusting my family, even though they'd taken me in several times over these years, I had this sort of like, right, right. Them. and I started studying, um, like intergenerational trauma. Um, mm. I started studying uh, uh, neurolinguistic programming, so how to rewire the patterns of the brains, how to generate new behaviors over old behaviors that aren't functioning, um, how to create new realities. And for also for the first time in a long time, in that year that I was back, I started to have deeper relationships with people. Mm. Um, when I was in Mexico, partially because of my own in ability to interact with people because I had had so much, uh, it was like brain fog and like, like autism type spectrum stuff where it's it's like really like the rest of the world doesn't seem like it exists as Mm. as real as as it does when you're healthy and vibrant and able to connect with people. Um, so partially because of my own challenges, I hadn't been interacting with people, but partially because living in a tourist town, the people who live there full time are serving the tourists and the people who are tourists are there for a week or two weeks at a time. And they're just always moving through. And so I had gained sort of a really, uh, uh, like this, like fuck people. They're always right. moving through. And so when I came back to live in Calgary, I really had to face that. Like I was the one who was unwilling to connect with other people. And I had to learn how to be in connection with other people. Hmm. And I worked, started with my family. Cause I was like, my family is the most important. And so in that process worked through, talked with them about so many things that I had never talked to them about 
Um, my parents went through some of their own awakening journey. Hmm. Um, so we're able to use similar languaging and talk to me about it. Maybe it's just like five or six years of me continuing to use the same language and approaching <laughs> them relatively lovingly or the planet waking up at large. I'm not quite sure. Right. But um, we were able to start having conversations about how parented me and the struggles they were going through while I was younger had impacted me later. And I realized that they were mostly oblivious to most of my challenges. They had no idea that I'd been suffering from depression for a decade or more, like, because mm. I just put on a really good face most of the time and been fine. And um, so if anybody's listening and feels like their family doesn't understand, they might just not know. You just right. not, might not know that you've been struggling. Keep that in mind and consider talking to them. And also like, caveat like my parents were in a good place to talk to me about all of these things some people's families like never get to that point and i'm so sorry for those people right. um in which case like therapy or like friends or or like surrogate family like i said i had surrogate grandparents like surrogate i, I definitely have met people i was like wow you're like the mom i never had that's so cool <laughs> you know like those people can do that kind of healing work with you as well right. if you're, if you're family of origin isn't able to do that. So I did all of those things. But I actually ended up spending not just one year, but two years in Calgary, which was a little mind boggling to myself. And at the end <laughs> of that two years, um, I was like, oh, but, but also you kind of get sucked into, oh, this is city life. This is like normal life. This is, you know, I had my routine. I had right. people that I, you know, homeschooling group that I was regularly a part of. And it would have been really easy to just go into that again. But there was sort of this underlying discontent around, um, around being in the city. And I worked with a group of people to like help organize a let's leave the city and start a hemp farm thing. Um, and then found out that the hemp farm was actually like too far away from the city and like away from all these connections I built. So I got sort of stuck between a rock and a hard mm. place. And I was like, well, what do I want to do next? Well, I, I really liked traveling. I really love being outside, even though it's, it's relatively simple to walk out of the house. Like the, the culture of Canada and the U S for, for a large part is like indoor culture. Right. It's, uh, you know, it's like, oh, I have a desk inside. And as much as I would outdoor office and set up my little office outside with my laptop, like, like you're doing right now, you know, you're, you're outside right now, which is great. Right. <laughs> um, but the mindset sort of gets to you. It's like this mindset of like always being, uh, always big based inside, even if you're not all always inside you're based inside you've got an indoor kitchen you've got an indoor bedroom you've got an indoor all of these things and because I, I think probably because I had spent so much time in Mexico where really indoor outdoor is like much more fluid than in colder mm, climates right um I was like, well, what, what could I do? You know? And, and to be totally honest, I probably wouldn't have gotten into van life if Dan wasn't already into van life. You know, <laughs> I went looking for, I was like, I want to make more babies. I want to, um, I want to have more adventure in my life. I want to go do some cool things. There are places in the world I still want to see like, yeah, lots of things I wanted to do. And there was sort of this like malcontent of like, I didn't really want to live in a city. I had spent the last five years looking for a small town west facing with a great sunset over the ocean. <laughs> you know? And so like Calgary with its cityness, like didn't, didn't fit that. And so there was some like malcontent. And so I, um, and I wanted to create a family. So I went online and I found this site, nomadsoulmates.com. And I was just like, holy crap, that's a thing. That's so cool. <laughs> like, wow, this exists. <laughs> this exists. And I, I put myself on there and, uh, 
I, I, I did this, like, I don't know how much your, your audience or yourself are into like the manifestation law of attraction type stuff, but I was like, I'm going to law of attraction myself <laughs> partner in the next six months. And I'm going to put concentrated, intense effort into it for the next right. six months. And I would get results you know <laughs> that's awesome so i went on i went on um nomad soulmates and spiritualsingles.com and i sent out like i think 100 i counted it up later i sent out 158 messages over about two weeks it was just like anybody who was a seven and above hot and like a five <laughs> or above interesting just like you know they just like they all they all got messages and um and anyway, long story short to that was I ended up meeting Daniel and I thought it was super cool. He's living out of a van. Like he's a painter. He got into van life because he loved painting and loved being in nature. And, um, we, we had a, a couple months of online dating and then he was like, well, I'm just going to drive to Calgary. And nice. he, was in, he was in Atlanta at the time, which is not a short drive. It's no, like, not at all. 4,000 miles or something. Um, and it's actually almost a year ago today, pretty close, um, that I, uh, when this is being recorded, uh, I flew down to Atlanta and we drove from Atlanta to Michigan together. We checked out like, what is, what does a two day road trip feel like? It felt great. I was like, awesome. Let's do this. Um, and then he drove the rest of the way to Calgary. We finished out our lease together. And, and then he was like, well, my two passenger van does not have enough room to, to sleep and house, you know, you and me and a kid and my dog. Right. Um, so we started looking at RVs and that was, uh, I'll save some people some time. If you're looking for an RV for under five grand, don't bother. <laughs> it's um, not there. It's not out there. At least not in Canada. Like we looked for, well, we looked for about a month. Maybe if we'd had like a year to look, it would have been different. But in a month, we did not find something that was going to be suitable. More, more importantly, that we could get insured. I'm sure we would have found ways to live in several of those vehicles. Um, but to get it insured and, and inspected and pass all of those inspections was like right. not happening. Uh, so we ended up settling on a, a Chevy Express, which is a the long extended cab version of the Astro van. Mm. Um, so like a 15 passenger, uh, car, like a carrier van mm. and Dan ripped the seats out of the back and put a bed platform in and a bunch of, uh, uh shelving and stuff. He was like, this is version one. I promise there'll be a version two. I was like, okay, you just have, like so much more carpentry than I understand how to do like good on you, you know, <laughs> thanks. Great. <laughs> this is so cool. Yeah. And, uh, I wasn't really sure how I would readjust to traveling. Um, because I hadn't done it in a long time, like mm. two years. But we loved it, and we ended up going from Calgary to Seattle to um, Denver. We did a lot of hot springs along the way um, and figured out, like, how does online businessing work while also parenting, while also um, you know, homeschooling, while also van lifing, while also not knowing where you're going to sleep tomorrow night? Like, it's a, a lot, lot of also's. <laughs> yeah, yes. And I've had a lot of also's on already, like, before this, right? Right. Like, traveling. But, but I... I I traveled to a single location, right? So I was just expatting in a different place, which is mm. totally different than like, okay, we're going to be at this campsite for the next four days. And then after that, we don't know which direction we're heading in, you know? Right. And I feel kind of grateful for that whole experience in some ways, because there's a lot of uncertainty going on right now in the world in terms of the COVID stuff. Right. And I'm like, I did so much uncertainty last year. Like, I don't know. This is like, I have to stay put for a while. Okay. You know, like, <laughs> right. In three to four months and see where everything's at. But in, right. in the meantime, like everything is kind of kind of similar. I'm still working online and all that jazz. But uh, the van life was really amazing because all of a sudden 
literally your home space. The 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 the, the express van is twenty one feet from engine to bike rack. Wow. Okay, so it's about eighteen feet maybe from like passenger seat to the back of the van. Right. And we did you know one bed plus a bench seat bed for Alex, but it's not really a workspace. It's not really a house space. Our kitchen was like something we unpacked from the van and set up. We had a gazebo and a, and a tent pop up that like totally worked when we were places. So we got like, Oh, here's our bedroom, extra bedroom number one. And here's our kitchen slash workspace. And you put it up over a picnic bench and you have everything you need. Right. Um, we got a really great uh, piece of technology called the goal zero Yeti. Um, which is a really amazing so portable, like don't have to mount it to anything, solar panel slash mm. uh, battery pack that's about the size of like my torso chest. It's like, I don't know, maybe, maybe 14, 16 inches wide and nice. sort of squarish. And it's, it's wide enough that I can lift it up and carry it. It's lithium ion. It's like super great. And that was enough to be able to like solar panel charge during the day or charge while we were driving from mm. an inverter from the van. Um, because electricity is important. Like electricity, right. when you're not living out of a house, like you have to figure out where your electricity is coming from. Um, and so that was like our solution to that. And we were able to charge, you know, like a Chromebook and a couple of phones and an iPad and and all of that. So we could all be like not in nature and on our screens in nature <laughs> when we were working and while Alex was doing learning apps and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, we figured out all of that and, you know, water jugs right. for water. Yeah. All, all the little things that we take for granted living, just living in regular homes, you know, they, they become little problems all of a sudden, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And like my kitchen is like three Tupperware bins yeah. that are, I don't know, like maybe again, like 16 inches tall and two feet by a foot, something like that. Yeah. Three bins like that come out. That's yeah. like all the kitchen things I need. You think really differently about like your supply we have a cooler we don't actually have a fridge so that's like and we actually lived without a cooler for about four to six weeks hmm. um before we headed further south like when we headed further south like you couldn't keep strawberries or salad greens or anything like that for longer than like half a day or they would just be gone right. you know and it's like, okay like if we do want to eat some of some of those like more delicate things like we either need to grow them ourselves not gonna happen for strawberries maybe for salad greens i i for i for many uh months i was like maybe it can put a greenhouse in here somewhere <laughs> on the van Elena. Like, but you know i couldn't come up with couldn't come up with a solid plan i did right. envision like back of the rv like one foot off the back of the rv just like all in like plastic or like plexiglass or something <laughs> like the like, greenhouse grow room yeah I gardening um but i couldn't quite figure out how to do that so we ended up actually doing sprouts and krauts mm. that was sort of the compromise and so we do sprouts and that's just really simple in jars and you just have to make sure you change the water in the morning and evening and and that was like my tiny little garden sometimes we put it on the dash and they would grow out nice. um, and i do ferments in a van like because i really love ferments and they're super important like uh i was talking about mental health recovery i didn't right. mention how important pro probiotics are in that and especially like super easy simple probiotics you can make from home like sauerkraut um like lacto fermented veggies like mm. kefir um and so i actually ended up doing sauerkraut and kefir out of the van I oh, had wow. a, just a, like a standing jar didn't even have a lid on it oh my god <laughs> so imagine i got like a one of those like big apple juice or like a uh, they use them for beer sometimes like right. two or three beers 
like I guess like a gallon. Like a big growler um, or whatever. Like a big growler. Yeah. yeah. And I just had to fill it mostly up and it had a little like mesh, um, uh, like mesh screen or whatever screen on the top. I put a hair elastic on to hold it on top and it, it just got like wedged in between the solar panel and the shelf and the backseat. <laughs> right. It's just sort of like sitting and then the water jug goes in front. So it like, it's, it's relatively contained, but like not strapped in by any means. Right. One day we went up Avalanche Creek and there was a creek, like to get to the campground, you had to like cross the creek. The first time we went to the, try out this campground, it was at night. We were like, okay, we'll just like, we'll just give it a try. And after going up this like super sketchy, super windy <laughs> back road, it's like pitch black for hours already. We've done a really long drive for the day. We're like, we'll, we'll just try it out and see what we get to. We get to this like river crossing and I'm like, this is our house. This is our travel. This is our livelihood. This is like everything we have. Like, right. I don't know how deep that water is. I don't know what's on the other side of it. I don't even know if there's actually a campground on the other <laughs> side of it. So we did like a 67 point turn to turn around on this super, super sketchy gravel road and ended up coming back down. But later, um, we talked to somebody in town and they were like, Oh, that's a really sweet campground. And once you cross the river, like it's only 50 meters. Um, and then you're there and it's really mm -hmm. nice, like highly recommended. So we did end up going back to it. But when you went over that river and like, there was a sort of like a roller, co roller coaster style, like lurch. Mm -hmm. like, okay. And my computer bottle made it through. Like later I was like, Oh my God, the kefir, like that could have been like sticky sugar water, like <laughs> everywhere. It's just like, Oh my God, what a disaster. Um, but we did that crossing several times. I never put a lid on it. It was totally fine. It's just like, you can do this. Yeah. It can actually ferment in a van. <laughs> can ferment in a van. And I'm not the only one I saw, um, saw an article the other day about a lady who was making tofu in her RV. Nice. Um, it had like a whole instructional. She's like, it's super simple and it saves us this much money per year. We eat a lot of tofu. We know all the ingredients now. Everything's organic. Super good. That's like, cool. Yeah. yeah. Like, I'm making tofu in the RV. <laughs> so it's one thing to, you know, hit the road and, and live van life as a single person or a couple or whatever, but you guys had Alex in tow, you know? So, how how did Alex feel about all that? And how how was how did you guys navigate that? Um, how do we navigate that? Well, um, I mean, I, I want to clarify that like Alex has had a super unconventional childhood. Of course, yeah. So he's used to that so kind of. I think stuff. strangeness is a little bit more normal for him than normalness. Um, he's never been to school. He's never like conventional school. He's never had sort of those more standard experiences. Nor has he had long-term friendships in the way mm. that a lot of people have um i would say myself and probably dan to to a certain degree as well like that's one of the challenges of of travel more travel-based lifestyle or maybe right. just me i'm not sure uh, <laughs> <laughs> and actually when i talk to people who live in cities they seem to struggle with friendship too so maybe it's just like a 21st century thing i'm not sure but i yeah. thought it was <laughs> Anyway, um, so how did Alex handle it? Um, for the most part, he thought it was pretty awesome. Um, definitely like missing his friends, but whenever we were in Wi-Fi zones, um, we would make sure that he'd get to do game time digitally with his friends. Um, sometimes when we were in the city, like living in Calgary, he would just play Roblox or Minecraft with his friends when they were together in person. So actually it's like not so much of a, a shift in some ways. Mm. It's just like shifting of, a format and like there's a voice coming from the screen instead of the voice coming from the person next to you, which is like kind of mind boggling for my own childhood to like right. comprehend. But 
um, works and, and he really like enjoys staying connected to them that way. Uh, he loves hot springs. We based a lot of our travel around hot springs. He didn't know he loved hot springs before we took him to a bunch of them. Um, <laughs> but he really enjoyed that. His reading got so much better because on our long drives, he would sit and read. Nice. Um, and he definitely, um, because Dan came with the dog, he went from not having an animal pet ever to now having a best friend on the same seat as him. So yeah. I have so many like super cute photos of them, like sprawled out on the back seat together nice. all of the day while we're driving. Um, and then everything in between is kind of just life, right? You know, it, it's kind of just life. And for people who are home right now, you know, with COVID stuff, it's like kind of like life like that. Yeah. But all the time as a choice. Right. You know? Yeah. Um, and, and definitely there's like, uh, you know, go and explore the lands around us, go and figure out what's, what's happening in this area. What, you know, like, like let's Dan and I both really love long walks. Let's go for a long walk together and see what we can find. Uh, I remember climbing up this like really sketchy, rocky gulch with Alex and he's like, let's go a little bit further. You know, he's like, <laughs> super excited to check that out um yeah uh yeah it's like in some ways it's like kind of similar i don't know i think in my mind like uncertainty is the common factor Mm. in my life yeah to a certain degree like certainty and like stableness is in some ways like kind of freaky and dangerous to me so my brain's interesting backwards from some other people (laughs) uh but maybe not. I don't know. So he, yeah. And he's a super sweet kid. Um, we got to go to a world schooling conference in Mexico this winter, which was oh, wow. really cool. Um, that was really, uh, reaffirming for me. So it's like, uh, there were about 150 parents who had come from all over the world, different countries. That's where we got Corona. That's what we joke about. We're like, we definitely got it. <laughs> people came from everywhere uh, but uh that was really cool to go to the world schooling summit he got to spend like a whole week um just like immersed in other kids and other exploring and it was hosted at a like a water park type thing so it was like all water park activities mm. the world schooling teens ran the the kids program so that was really cool to be like wow okay you know some of you some of those kids have been doing it for six months some of them have been doing it for 10 years wow so oh wow like there are other parents out there who have been traveling with their kids for 10 years and are those kids are like nice human beings because that's always sort of the worry is like i live right any any unconventional lifestyle it's like are my kids gonna turn out okay are they gonna be like (laughs) super weird um, and right. I would say that like one of Alex's strengths is definitely adaptability. Mm. Um, yeah, you know, for sure. It's like, oh, oh, we're here now. Well, we'll just keep being here. When are we leaving? Are we going soon? Oh, in a couple of months we'll be going. Okay. Well, until then we'll just keep being here and that's great. Oh, we're going in four days. Okay. Well, until then we'll just keep being here. And that's awesome. A, a lot of it has to do with just like being in the moment. It's like right mm. now I'm talking to you in this particular desk, in this particular room. But right. once you figured out what that certainty is, once you figured out, okay, this is where my office is, this is where my bedroom is, this is where my um, my kitchen and my bathroom are. Once you've got those, it's like you just interface with them like you right. would normally interface with those kind of things. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. So tell us, tell us what uh, what is it that you're doing now? I mean, you, you have a you know you help. Sounds like you help 
isolated moms and, and things of that nature. So how did you get into that and start doing that? And yeah, how can people yeah. connect with you in that way? For sure. Yeah. So um, I, I felt a calling to work with moms for the better part of the last like seven or eight years. Once I realized I was on a like healing trajectory and I was like, I'm going to come out of this. I was like, whatever I learn along the way, like turn it into something that's valuable to other people. Nobody else should have to go through what I went through. Like, you know, there's so many mistakes that I made along the way, six or seven or eight or 10 times. That right. I could just tell the story in a good way. Somebody could go, Oh, I'm doing that. I don't want to do that. Right. Like let's, let's do it differently. Yeah. Um, and so that became, you know, part of, part of my, my mode of, of operating in the world, wherever I had an opportunity to talk with other moms, I just give them the wisdom and insight that I had learned when it seemed appropriate and that they could, they could interpret that in a good way in their lives. Um, and over the last two years or so, I've really, I was doing online marketing before. So I started utilizing those online marketing tools towards my own business instead of other people's, which is so that's great. awesome. Yeah. Oh my uh, so great. <laughs> um, yeah. And so now I've launched a program called Bulletproof Moms. Um, people can find out more about it at bulletproofmoms.com. Make sure you awesome. put the S on the end. Um, and that goes through some really crucial and key areas like how to set boundaries with your kids that they will actually respect, how to set better boundaries with yourself so that you can raise your standards. Because in a lot of places, when people are putting up with abuse or neglect type stuff, they've said, I'm not worthy. I'm worthless. I deserve to be treated like this. You know, you get into all sorts of really funky yeah, All games. the stories we tell ourselves. And, and we, we do that to help ourselves feel okay about what's happening right, right. now. And it gets to a point where you're like, I'm going to die or this is really not manageable. And so the work that I do is a lot of it's around telling the worst case scenario stories or letting other people share their worst case scenario stories. So people go, if I keep on the trajectory that I'm on, I'm going to end up there. Mm. I do not want to be there. Yeah. You know? yeah. And I have a, a really great, um, I, I'm actually a part of a, a co-authored book that's coming out in May of 2020. Awesome. That's called Pitch it. Uh, Ign yeah, Ignites uh, Female Changemakers. And my chapter in that book is called The Deep End of Mom Guilt. And mm. it's it takes pe people through that period of time when I was living in Mexico and really struggling with my mental health and through the moment where I really went, you know what, this is not working and I really need to do something different. And my hope in sharing that story and in and sharing all the stories I share really is that people will go, Oh, Oh, that's me. Oh, shit. Yeah. And, and, <laughs> and, and, and have the impetus to make the change. And then on the other side of that, obviously not just scaring the crap out of them, but, <laughs> but <actually laughs> providing actionable, really um, tools that work in the moment for challenges where you don't have time. You can't go to an hour yoga class to calm down. The right. hour yoga class has been canceled. Your kids are pestering you all the way through. How do you recenter into being present with them? How do you um, deal with really challenging emotions? You know, uh, we talk about like Hulk mom. It's like, ah! You know, <laughs> right going from being okay to not okay and like how do you get back to being like nice mom again after going into hulk mode how do you talk to your kids about um the challenging experiences they've that you're you're presenting to them because you're overstressed how do you talk to them about all these things um 
And so I put all of those things together in Bulletproof Moms course. And really it's a collection of tools that I created for myself over the years and all of that wisdom that got me out of that, as well as, you know, I've been doing the, the Joygasmic Life podcast as well, um, which is interviewing people who are actually specialists in all of these ideas that myself sort of as a generalist, I'm like, that works, that works, that works. You need to have all six of these areas. I actually have a list of like 12 things. It's like, if you haven't done all 12 things continuously, sustainedly for a period of time and ask for help to make sure that that happens, mm-hmm. like you haven't tried everything. Cause a lot of people mm-hmm. will go, Oh, I've tried everything. Right. Well, with me, I'm stuck like this. And I'm like, you're not stuck like that. Mm. If you think you are, you are. But if you haven't tried all of these things, if you've never tried vitamin therapy, if you've never tried probiotics, if you've never tried asking for help, if you've never tried, you know, going into some of that intergenerational and how none of this shit that you're dealing with is actually yours. Like, yeah. If you don't, if you don't dig into all of those areas, there's pieces that are like holes in the bucket you can put as much love as much care as much self-care as much self-love into that bucket but if you haven't dealt with how angry you really are that you've been left Mm -hmm. or if you haven't dealt with how overwhelmed you feel on a daily basis being with your kids or how alone you felt in that first year of of life after they were born or whatever that might be for that individual then there's still holes in the bucket right and it's possible to have a full bucket when you've still got holes in the bucket. So my work is around giving people the tools, the tools and the skills to be able to do that for themselves. So once they've, once they've learned those tools, they can continue to apply them because it totally a hundred percent is an ongoing process that you have to keep doing. It's not like fix it and it's done. Right. Learn the skills and then continue applying them. And I like, people don't really want to hear that. They want to hear fix it and it's done. That's but our society. <laughs> When you're talking about overwhelm, like you're, if your kids are still at home with you for the next eight weeks, six months, like you don't know how long it's going to be. People need to find better tools to deal with the challenges that they're having. And a lot of yeah. times the tools that they have are the tools that they learned from their semi-abusive, emotionally abusive, physically abusive parents who were baby boomers who were like really just trying to figure out how to make yeah. life work for themselves. So, um, yeah, it's super rewarding helping people gain those skills. And, um, yeah, if people are, feel excited about connecting with me, the book is a really good place to get started. And there's some free tools that, that come from there and that's uh, bulletproofmoms.com. And then there's more information about the course on that same page. Um, so people can find out more about taking a deeper journey. Uh, I do work with people one-on-one sometimes, but I like to do that either in conjunction with the course or after they've taken the course, if they, they're like, I've applied all these things and there's still something really messed in my brain. Um, then, then we dive into sort of more on one, more one-on-one, um, like NLP behavior reprogramming. Um, but there's a lot of that in the course as well. I make these brain cool. training tracks that are multi-layered audios, um, kind of like, you imagine like the experience of like happy chatter in a bar and how there's like mm. a thousand things happening all at once. Right. It's kind of got that feeling, but it's all phrases and words and sounds and inspirational quotes that are designed to make you be like, I can keep going. I can do this. Yeah. And because I listened to this, I'm already, I've already done everything I need to do today to, to be able to be better tomorrow. I've already right. done it all. Oh, that's so cool. Great. Okay. <laughs> that's okay. cool. I'm going to go be peaceful with my kids. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Very good. Cool. Yeah. I'll, and I'll put all the, all the links to all that stuff, uh, wherever it can be found online. I'll, that'll be in the show notes for the show. 
And right. um, so there's a couple more questions I have. So sure. one, uh, and these are two questions I ask every guest. What what are some things that are fairly easy for listeners to do frequently or daily to increase their reconnection with the natural world from your perspective? Oh gosh. Um, I mean, find a window. Yeah. <laughs> if you're currently <laughs> inside, it's like find a window and just stare out it. Um, if you can't find a window, find a YouTube video you really like, uh, you know, <laughs> something really beautiful. Um, there's something to be said about the frequencies that nature puts off. So mm. even if you can't find actual nature, because I feel like a lot of people, you know, especially in this like early 2020s, like actual nature is actually challenging for people to find. Mm. Um, so things like, um, like video, like video, audio footage of nature and just like letting yourself be immersed in that for mm. like 15 to 20 minutes a day and just really appreciate it. Um, it's really beautiful. Uh, failing that, uh, isochronic tones are something that I've really, um, found peace with things that that reflect the schumann resonance of the earth so and you're gonna have to tell us about that because <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what that is but it sounds very intriguing yeah um if, have you heard of binaural beats yeah yeah okay so binaural beats are supposed to go in headphones and they okay. work by sort of creating an interference pattern in your brain whereas isochronic tones is more like what a field full of croaking frog puts out okay Right? It's like an ambient sound you can broadcast into the space. I use them in my brain training tracks is why I love them so much. Nice. Um, um, but it's like, it's, it's, a, it's a resonance. So it's mm. just like a field. And, and the Schumann resonance is the resonance of the earth. It's the resonance that the earth just naturally like puts into the space. Yeah. So if you're in a highly concrete, highly civilized space, putting Schumann resonance frequencies on that have been specifically designed by people who have, you know, your highest benefit in effect. And if you Google on or YouTube, um, isochronic tones or Schumann resonance, like you'll totally find things that, that follow into that category. Nice. A lot of them are really beautiful. Some of them are weird. Some of them don't sound auditorily pleasant. Don't listen to them. <laughs> if you don't like them. <laughs> Click around for a bit, find something that works for you. You know, yeah. um, those were really, really impactful for me, but that isn't really connecting with nature. That's like, if you're stuck inside connecting with nature, if you actually are connecting with like actual nature, um, I would say like, uh, like crystals are a really great way that mm. I found. Um, I, I really love, um, different crystals and, and being in that. It lets me do that. A couple of little crystals lets me do that sort of like organizing, making, making uh sense out of the chaos you know huh. the pile turns into like a grid and you're like, oh everything's organized now yay <laughs> and like in relation with nature um yeah and or like just straight up getting outside and going for a walk like going for right. a five and to hour-long walk every day and just being like this is part of my routine after lunch i go for a walk after work i go for a walk but when I wake up, I go for a walk, whichever one works best in your schedule and, um, habit building. It's like attach it to something you already do. So it's like something you already do every day and go, okay, at the end of doing that, I will just go for a walk afterwards. Right. Yep. Just create that habit. Yeah. you got to, you got to attach it to another existing habit. Awesome. Um, cool. Yeah. Yeah, I'll find a link about the, I forget even what it Thanks was called now. The, yeah. Yeah. yeah that's a chronic tone. I'll make a note and send you a couple. Cool. Yeah. And I'll put that in the show notes. Awesome. Very good. And then, uh, you know, based on your perspective, your experiences and what you're, 
you know, trying to promote and all that. What are, what are a couple of books that you might recommend? Uh, know, of course, aside from that, yours. <laughs> I know. When you asked me that, I was like, oh my God, I gave up reading books when my son was born. <laughs> I was like, shoot, I got to think of some books that I've read. Like, uh, I, really, I really, really had to think about it. Um, I would probably recommend uh, Optimum Nutrition for the Mind by Patrick okay. Wolford. Um, I read through that one. That one, like the, the philosophy and the nutrition advice through that was like one of the things that I applied to my life and saw really dramatic results awesome. um, for. It's also the book that made me quit smoking for the good. Um, good. Also the book that made me be like, I will never become schizophrenic. I don't actually have mental illness. I have like nutritional deficiency. Great. Thank you so much for a different way of looking at it. Um yeah, sorry. I don't have another No, that's book. fine. No, like, that's probably good. the only book I've actually finished from start to finish since I birthed my son nine years ago, which I feel a little sad to, <laughs> be, to say, but um, I've always really loved the Dragon Riders of Pern series. Oh. I'm listening to that on audiobook by Anne McCabry. Cool. That's like fantasy fiction. I just I'm a it. huge Tolkien fan, so fantasy okay. fiction I'm good with. <laughs> great, great. Yeah, I was like, uh, not really a... But we, we're just um, we're just about done reading. Well, Dan's taken the lead on reading the Lord of the Rings trilogy to Alex. So. All right. Yeah. That's good. awesome. Very yeah. good. Yeah. Well, thanks, Elena. Thanks for coming on and sharing your story and your expertise. And uh, yeah, I really appreciate it. You're welcome. Thanks so much. I super appreciate being here today and getting a chance to share stories and looking forward to sharing this when, when I get back. Well, friends, thanks again for joining me as always and for listening to this episode with Elena. Uh, please go check out her stuff. Check out her website, her YouTube channel, her Facebook. Um, I put all the links to all of her stuff in the show notes. So if you need to find anything related to what she talked about, you should find it there. Uh, so go check that out and give us a, a like on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, um, subscribe if you haven't already, wherever it is that you are accessing this podcast. We're on many platforms. Uh, so yeah, and please give us reviews. Uh, send me an email if you have any questions about anything, if you have any feedback, uh, positive or critical, I'm totally open to it. You can send an email to ron at coyotespath.com. And uh, we've got a lot more in the pipe ready to send out to you. So look forward to more wonderful episodes with some really amazing people. Until next time. <laughs>